How do you change behavior in people who have lived in a system where healthcare is built on the idea of being sick? Where the only times you see a doctor is when you are already feeling the repercussions of a disease or illness. In this episode, I speak with Katie Barrick, co-founder and executive director of Hands on Peru on just this. She built this Peruvian nonprofit with a mission to equip vulnerable communities with knowledge, tools, and equitable opportunities in order to improve their social determinants of health. And in this conversation, Katie tells us about the hard lessons she had to learn when it came down to providing valuable public health education to women who lived in a healthcare system that did not value prevention. This is when she discovered the idea of interactive participatory healthcare, healthcare education that allows these women to get their hands dirty, to learn while playing games, while cooking, while knitting. The knitting became so popular that these women created their very own ethical slow fashion brand named Chimuk. And before we dive in, here's a little more about Katie. Katie has over 18 years of experience in global health and development initiatives. Her areas of expertise include public health program development, implementation and evaluation, community engagement, behavioral health, nonprofit fundraising, staff training and development, social enterprise strategy, and international relations. She is particularly passionate about holistic human development, reducing multidimensional poverty, and gender equity. Katie works directly with communities to understand their gaps and barriers to health in order to create organic and sustainable interventions that will address the health problems from the root. She designed each community program and trains local leaders in the art of dynamic public health programming. She's passionate about training future healthcare professionals in global public health and has directly worked with over 350 volunteers from universities all around the world. She's an avid public speaker and champion of young leaders in social projects, overseeing collaborative projects with Yale University, Deloitte Consulting, Basel University in Switzerland, UNC Moorhead Kane Scholarship, NC State, and dozens of other universities in Peru and all around the world. Make sure to listen to the very end for a very special offer to you, our listeners. My name is Hethel Bauman, and this is The Global Health Pursuit. Okay. (laughs) Katie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This is my second time interviewing you, actually. So the first uh, round of the podcast was in 2020. So we've actually known each other for, what, more than three years, probably. Mm-hmm. It's an honor to have you back. And also amazing to see how Hands on Peru has grown. So for my audience who haven't listened to the first go around of Global Health Pursuit, I kind of just want you to tell us your story. So you came from you originally were born and brought up in North Carolina. Right. Yep. Yeah. So just kind of start from there. Like, 
<laughs> Give us whatever you want. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was born and raised in Cary, North Carolina, and I went to high school and college in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, NC State uh, college graduate. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to just plug that you did the commencement speech for NC State like six months ago. Yes, yes. They invited me to give the uh, the amazing. keynote speech for the the biology department, which is where I graduated from, which is funny you mentioned that because I just listened to the speech today. I'm feeling nostalgic today because Hands on Peru has turned 10 and uh, I was looking through a bunch of old photos and I was looking through that. I watched, rewatched the speech and I, I, I'm feeling nostalgic right now thinking about just how far Hands on Peru has come because I started it when I was a senior in, in college. Going into my senior year, I started Hands on Peru. And the reason why I started Hands on Peru was because I came to Peru as a volunteer with another organization. And the reason why I chose to do that was because I had traveled quite a bit to Honduras and I had seen public health uh, and community health initiatives being developed in Honduras through my church since mm. rural, since I was old. Um, I had been to Africa, rural Honduras, and I just knew that I wanted my life to be living with communities, you know, impoverished countries. I knew I just had a calling to extreme poverty, which is, you know, an an interesting calling in this day and age, especially growing up in like a nice neighborhood and going to a nice school, you know, I realized I had this platform and I saw how, how, how much people are in need, you know, when it comes to healthcare and access to public health services, water filters, latrines, scholarships to go to school, roofs, homes, floors, like so many basic, basic, basic needs are not met for so many people. And that still fuels me. It's still what fuels me. It's still, you know, the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. I started Hands On Prue going into senior year of college and 10 years ago, (laughs) Oh my gosh. And you you live full time in Peru now. I live full time in Huanchaco, Peru, and I love it. <laughs> I know. I I feel like every time we we talk, you always say like Peru is my home and you talk about how you have to come to the states to like fundraise and do all of that stuff and you're like I don't want to go. <laughs> I want to stay here. <laughs> the states is great, but Peru is where I just daily life here is just so much more enjoyable for me. I get to do a job that I love. I get to go in the ocean. I get to eat fresh food, fresh local organic food, and I get to do it for a really good price. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't, you can't, I don't, I don't think you can beat that, honestly. I, I mean, I was just in El Salvador just last week. And yeah, every morning, fresh juices, fresh fruits, fresh, like everything. And it's affordable. It's affordable. Mm -hmm. That's the best part. You know, I like right now, strawberries and blueberries are on sale. I can get a quarter of a kilo for a dollar. Yeah, no. So I love living in Peru. And obviously the work that I do also holds me here and just is one of the reasons 
is the reason why I'm here. And my inspiration for being here is the impact that Hands-On Peru and our public health center is making in, in this community. So you moved from North Carolina. Now you're living in Peru. When you first came into Peru, what was your first project? Like, what did you see and what did you want to implement? Like, right when you first started? I think that I just, we, I noticed a lack of education in health and lack of access to very, very basic health care. Women mm-hmm. not understanding their menstrual cycles or what menstruation is mm-hmm. or what menopause is. Wounds that weren't being treated and washed and newsborn. Like, to me, I noticed such simple things that I was able to help immediately. And then mm-hmm. in doing that, I was able to kind of understand the deeper inequities in the health system here and in access to primary care, specialized care. And then that kind of opened the door to, okay, not everybody here gets physicals like they get in the States. You know, when we're in the States, we get blood work done. We're able to see, oh, I have a risk factor for this disease. Let me change my diet and lifestyle. And down in Peru, they don't understand they have a risk factor until they're already suffering from the disease, and it may be non-reversible. So the more I kind of got into that aspect of just a total lack of prevention and lack of education and and realizing I can do something about it, because I have my master's in public health from the University of Pittsburgh. I learned how to implement programs to improve health behaviors and different health indicators. I'm not a doctor, but I have basic Mm -hmm. knowledge of health and healthcare and realizing, okay, I can do a glucose test. I can do a hemoglobin test. Mm. And then I can put together a fun education session so that moms know how to avoid this in the future, or at least tell people, you know, hey, you have this risk for this disease, or hey, you're doing great, keep going on what you're doing. And so that they have more of a peace of mind, and they feel more in control. I think that it's just like, so what I'm getting is that you started from the basic, basic Basic. needs. Very basic. And didn't even have to go into like, you know, the technical details of things, you even said like you're not a doctor, but there are things that you can actually implement that can actually start changing the mindsets of women and their children, you know, where you live. And it's and like, you know, there are there's so many healthcare professionals here too. So for example, anytime mm-hmm. I needed a doctor, we we found one because my business partner Rosa is a nurse. Her whole family comes from a family of doctors. So, for example, we'd say, hey, you know, women should get pap smears every year, every three years or, you know, whatever, you know, they require. And I'd say, okay, I need an OB. Okay, let's let's collaborate Mm. with this health center to get pap smears. So I'm not the one actually doing the pap smear, but I'm the one inviting in the OB, inviting in the women, putting together the education that, hey, you should get pap smears. And then, you know, guiding people in, in that. So it's been quite easy to like 
freelance doctors here. They're all, <laughs> there's so many healthcare professionals here and their availability and, and their work ethic actually also like they work healthcare professionals here in Peru work hard. And so it's been mm. surprisingly easy to be able to collaborate with a bunch of different healthcare professionals in order to address the health issues in the community. So like you said, so my question is, if there are so many healthcare professionals, what were what was the barrier, you know, to access prior to you coming That's in? That's more systematic. The the problem here is the system mm. of Peru and the way that they the 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 health centers in the community rather than functioning as a primary community health center, they function as you know, where people go when they're already sick and suffering, and then they go straight to the hospital. There's not necessarily a, a place that you can go here in Peru for basic health care or small uh, needs. And so there's this paradigm of health care in Peru that's built upon sick, attending the sick. There's no mm. paradigm of preventative, preventative. and, you know, rather than, you know, life giving versus life saving. So there's just a whole mentality and a whole systematic, uh, you know, issue in Peru. And the doctors, every time they come to the clinic, they say, this is amazing. We need more of this. And, and I'm like, yes, we do. Mm. How, how can we, how <laughs> yes. can we? And, and now 10 years later, we're, talking about replication more and more and more with the health clinics, with the government, you know, trying to get them to adopt this model of community health and, and public health. And, but yeah, it's just a mentality shift. And then the actual education in itself, you know, when we began, we would host education sessions because I would say, okay, doctors, you're going to come, you're going to, you know, help us with this, but we're also going to educate the, the people. And you know what they did? They sat down and they gave a long talk and they had lots of writing. And you know what happened? The people got up and left. The people listening to the, the charla or the session would just get up and walk out of the room. It was very easy to see that it was not working. So I came up with, yeah. okay, we need interactive. We need participatory healthcare. We need, we need games. We need cooking. We need knitting. We need people to get their hands dirty so that they can understand what it's like and to create a better life for themselves. So watching people walk out of my clinic after receiving lectures I remember was for you me, me like too. the hardest thing because here I am like, oh my God, wait, no, don't go. <laughs> this is important. But it's what led to like this whole new approach to participatory healthcare, and and I think that that is our strength: the fact that we have been able to build habits in people and and improve behaviors. Because that's that's the new that's the new challenge in global health. How do you get a, a, the behaviors people to adopt behavior? How do you do it? Well, we figured it out. You know, we developed these programs. We developed incentives. We made them fun to come to, laughter, joyful. Mm. You know, now we have the, mm -hmm. the clinic is full. The clinic is teeming with life. It's amazing. And it's theirs now. Seven years later, they're the ones who close up. They clean. They close up. They open. 
it's more theirs than it is mine at this point. And honestly, Absolutely. you'd prefer that, right? Yes, uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I built it for them. So the fact that they use it yes. and they care for it and they, you know, keep it alive is is a show of like, okay, the community really has adopted this as their own. So talk about that behavior shift, though, you know, like what what you saw in the beginning from people walking out and, you know, even getting people to come to these sessions. What was that like to what what you're seeing now? Well, you know what? I've learned a lot about, you know, health behaviors, and it just starts with the individual. You know, you can't force right. anyone to do anything. Mm-hmm. My next door neighbor still won't come to the sessions. So, you know, the whole approach for us was if you want to make a change in your life, we're here to help mm-hmm. you. I can't anymore go in and try to convince people to come and to make this change. So you, what we do is we really work with the people who seek us out at this point. You know, if you want to change in your life, we're here to make it happen. And so, you know, there's a big section of middle people there who, who want a better life for themselves and who, and who want to work and who want to implement activities in their life to be better. And we help them in that shift, giving them stability. You know, these are weekly programs. This program isn't one session a month or every other month. You know, we're once a week, twice a week, these programs. So it's they're creating this habit of coming to a program every week and just mm-hmm. building that habit is is in itself a positive thing. Um, but, you know, you can't change everyone. And it kind of brings up this aspect of like the mental side of, of health and poverty and health mm-hmm. behaviors. You know, there's a big mental portion there. And it's like that, um, that saying where it's like you're born into poverty. You'll always be in poverty. Your kids would be in poverty. Like all of the stuff, narrow mindedness. <laughs> There's Uh also this other really impactful phrase that I like. It's the classic, you know, you give a man to fish, you give a man to fish, he'll eat for a day. You teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. But then what if he doesn't have a fishing rod? What if he doesn't have like a place to go fish? So it's like talks about this equitable opportunity. It's like somebody may want to change their life, but nobody's giving them the opportunity to do so. So we open up this opportunity and for the people who want to come and take advantage of it, those are the main type of, of uh, population we work with. So, okay. So now 10 years later, talk about the different programs that you have. I mean, I even saw on your website, you even have like a surf program. Did you go surfing this morning? Because you told me that you'd go surfing before call and you'd- I'm actually going surfing after. Yeah, we take the kids surfing once a month. And and in the summer, we take them once a week through another nonprofit called Groundswell Community Project based out of San Diego. We have a nutrition class where we cook together every Monday. It's called Lady Lunis. We have a sexual and reproductive health course that we take into local high schools. And this right now looks like like a three-week, three-module course where we kind of go into high schools for three weeks and cover a variety of, of topics specifically for sex ed. And uh, we've got a knitting program, which started out as a way to get the women engaged and empowered and, you know, a mental health program. And we started knitting and they just didn't stop. You know, we have our own brand of hand knit 
products. And during the pandemic actually gave us the opportunity because we had to close the clinic. So what we did was we totally remodeled and rebranded this knitting program. And it's called Chimuk as a way to pay homage to Chimu ancestors on, on whose land on which we live and work. And the Chimus were the uh, original surfers in the world. Over 3,500 years ago, they were surfing the waves here in Wanchaco. And they have the ancient city of Chan Chan, which is the oldest, largest mud brick city in the world. And our clinic and knitting workshop is located basically on top of Chan Chan. So we've named our brand Chimuk as a way to honor them. And we incorporate their designs as well into our knitting. The brand has blown up. (laughs) We have a designer. We've hired three of the moms on the production team. We may, we've, we source our wool from the Highlands. We have 100% baby alpaca wool now and the moms knit. And we used to pay them depending on how much we sold, whatever we sold, we would split that Mm -hmm. between them. But now we've been able to change the business model in the way that we pay them per product that they make. So they now earn monthly wages. And so they know, okay, if I make this, I earn this, which is, yeah, they prefer it a lot more. And so with us, we purchase it from them and then we sell it to people in United States and Switzerland and Peru to try and to keep supporting the program. Where did that idea come from? You know, because like you said that they just didn't stop knitting and what like what was that first the first idea or like we should turn that was my business partner rosa's idea it was her idea to brand it Ah. i just loved the fact because i told you people were walking out of the clinic when they were getting lectured at and people were walking into the clinic when they found out that there was knitting so i was just excited to see people walking into the clinic i was just responding, okay, the people like this, there's more people here, they're, they're into this. I was just following that energy, buying the wool, getting more people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, come, come, we're knitting. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was just trying to engage them. And then it was Rosa who came up with the idea of branding it. And I said, yeah. And then, you know, we built it together, essentially. So on the website, it talks about the specific artisans, which is like so, so cool because you get to actually learn about the, the women who are actually knitting your scarves and your hats and all of that. And you had said that, you know, if you buy a scarf or a hat or whatever from them, you actually get to see who actually made your product. And I think that's like... So amazing. So cool. Yeah, every product has a QR code. And the QR code will take you to a photo and a bio of the woman who knitted. And that just, to me, was essential because we started the program for the women. Women are the program. Like, it's about them. It's not about really anything else. It's about their well-being. And so for me, we've seen babies. We've seen bellies grow and turn into toddlers and now little 
kids who know how to read and write. Like I know these women's children. I know their families. I know their husbands. I know where they live. Like the the program is for the women. So to keep them at the center is for me, my priority. Their well-being comes before anything else. Yeah. And also, you know, it's important for, for clients and people to understand, you know, about the impacts of slow fashion and how much you can impact with your dollar, Mm -hmm. you know, like as, as a consumer, you get to choose what impact you want to have on the world. And everybody's faced with that question at, at, at all points in their life. You know, how do I want to improve this world? And we all have a responsibility to do that. And for a lot of people who think, oh, I can't do that. I live here and I'm already doing this job and I have all these kids. It's like, okay, but you know, what brands are you supporting? You know, And like just understanding that like there is a face and a name behind everything that you buy and are they being treated with dignity? Are they being treated like slaves, you know, and being able to identify that and stand up for those values, I think is really important. And the more I've learned, I, I never thought I'd be in fashion, but the more I've learned about fast fashion and the environmental and human abuse that goes on in fast fashion is just shocking to me. And so now I'm like this huge slow fashion advocate because it just Mm -hmm. is so applicable to everybody's daily life. It's literally what we're wearing on our bodies every day. Like, right. ah. And you're carrying that. Yeah. You're carrying that energy. And so our hats are filled with beautiful hand knit hand love energy with baby alpaca wool, super soft, ethically sourced, you know, made with dignity. And I just love this brand. And my goal for the brand is selling it. I need to sell. I need to get into stores and boutiques and, you know, um, you know, figuring out how we can make it sustainable so that the women can keep having jobs. And that's my new big challenge. 10 years later, I'm faced with this whole new big challenge in the world of fashion. (laughs) It's so crazy how things like just kind of fall into place and you're like, I never thought I was going to be in fashion. But then, yeah. So these women, what were they doing before they started knitting? Like what were they doing to make money? So a lot of them weren't working. They're called ama de casa or housewife. Okay. Other common jobs were, um, since we live near um, Chan Chan, there's a lot of like fields. And so a lot of them would harvest tomatoes, cucumbers, watermelon, which is good because it's work, but it's 10 hours a day of backbreaking work in the sun for minimum pay. So a lot of them would go into the fields and harvest different vegetables and fruits. A lot of them raise guinea pigs Hmm. and like sell guinea pigs because here in, in Peru, guinea pig is like a delicacy and, and they re- reproduce really quickly. So a lot of them will like have little like guinea pig farms in their houses. That is so like- interesting. <laughs> yeah. it, that's definitely a practice from the highlands because most of the people, most of the women are transplants from the highlands. And they've kind of came down to Trujillo looking for a better life, mm-hmm. looking for more work. So, you know, sometimes I'm walking to the clinic and there's like a whole herd of sheep in front of me. Yeah, everybody has sheep and goats and ducks in their houses. They're used to having animals in their houses because they're used to growing up on the, in the highlands. Mm-hmm. 
you know, which poses another public health problem. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then a lot of them just didn't work either, you know, cooking, cleaning in their house, waiting for their husband to come home. You know, they were living in poverty. When we started, the women, the average income of the women was like 500 solis a month for their home, which is like $130. Like it's like a month. Wow. 140 maybe. And now, you know, that's what they make with us. So they've basically doubled their household income. And we would love to be able to triple it, quadruple it. And if I can ensure sales, then, you know, the moms are more than happy to keep knitting. They love it too. Every time I ask them what their favorite part of the program is, they say knitting. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Are you sure it's not all the other fun things we do? (laughs) No, it's the knitting. I'm like, okay. Well, because it's not just knitting. You're you're basically, you know, it's like a social activity, you know? You get to do it in a group. They say say that when they come into the clinic, uh, they forget all of their worries. Mm -hmm. And they come into like a little like safe haven. They forget all of their worries. They get distracted and like they get to be in community and laugh. And I've heard that from many, many, many people, not just the knitters. Also like the one, women who come for the cooking class and the kids, they say it's like a place for them to just release all of the worries from their homes. And so we're like this little mental health sanctuary in the community. I mean, how does that make you feel? Honestly? Yeah. Yeah. That's the best. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, Okay. So for our listeners, I have a special offering um, for you guys for Chimuk. If you want to experience wearing any of their hats and their scarves, they're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I have a special code. It's GHP10. You'll get 10% off whenever you use it. So go check out their website. I will have everything linked in the show notes and the description below. And this is just amazing. I'm so excited to partner with you, Katie, on this, because if we can allow more income for these women, it's just, like you said, quadruple it. Mm -hmm. Wow. So what are other ways that people can get involved? So we have obviously Chimuk to support. You can, if you want to be a Chimuk ambassador and help us spread the word and sell to your friends and family, you can do that too. You know, for example, like a Christmas party or like a porch party, you can we can send you some products. You invite your friends over and you can have like a party where people can try on the products and buy them. And then we also have opportunities to visit us in mm-hmm. Peru. We have a volunteer program, which is going on 10 years now. We've had over 350 volunteers. And I'm looking for people to come help us. We have physical therapy, dental, and ultrasound services. We have the cooking class if you're interested in nutrition. And we have this social enterprise of Chimuk that needs some TLC, you know, if anyone wants to travel and learn to surf while also taking care of kids or, you know, you don't even have to be a healthcare professional. You can also just want to travel with purpose. Documentary. I need photographers, videographers. If anybody out there wants to like come down and document what we do, you are 100,000% welcome. And just like, yeah, like spreading the word. If you have a a friend or a family who's a doctor and who has been wanting to do global mission work, 
we have a place that you can come to in Peru and we have the structure already set up to be able to receive health professionals or students in the health profession. Mm. Um, so come visit us in Peru. And yeah, Peru's an amazing country. You know, you've got the Sacred Valley in Cusco and Machu Picchu. You've got the Amazon jungle. You've got the high Andes mountains. You've got the beach with the waves. There's so much to do in Peru. And being able to experience all of that and give back to the Peruvian community, I think, is super special. So we also have volunteer programs all year round, also in like specific dates too, mm-hmm. like a five-week program in, in May, a three-week program in July. So there's definitely opportunities to get involved. And you can find all those opportunities on our website at handsonperu.org. And all of that will be linked Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Katie, for coming on the podcast. <laughs> it's always such a pleasure yeah. to talk to you. Yeah, I'm glad that you are doing this work too and giving light to, you know, those organizations and people doing the work in these remote corners of the world. You know, that I feel like that's why I said I need photographers and videographers. Like sometimes it feels like we're doing amazing work and only more people need to know about it. So also you shining that light on us is super special and super appreciated. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic and guest, head over to the show notes linked in the description of this episode. There you can get access to resources, links, and ways you can get involved in the pursuit for global health. And if you love this episode, don't forget to write me a review on Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast on Spotify. It helps me get in front of more people just like you and continues to elevate the causes we are so passionate about. I'll see you in the next one.